crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, and I'm here with my co-host, Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed. Hello, WABC listeners. Here we are again for another episode of Cop Talk. So today's guest is Josh Eisen. Josh is running against Senator Kirsten Gillibrand for U.S. Senate. The election is in November. Josh holds a Ph.D. from Columbia University. He's a successful entrepreneur and international businessman. He's also the co-chairman of the George Pataki Foundation. Josh, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure, honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get right to it. Let's talk about your background in business and public service. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Queens, New York. I lived in New York City, the New York State, my whole life. I went to college here, graduate school. As you mentioned, I have a PhD from Columbia. I did an MBA there as well. Um, as an undergraduate, I went to Queens College. My parents didn't have, at the time, I think $17,000 a year for Columbia. Queens College was $700 a semester, yep. So, and it was a very easy commute. I just walked, so that's, uh, that's where I went. Um, I started a few businesses, mainly in the professional services space. Our clients are primarily lawyers, HR directors. Right now, our main focus is on background checks and international verification of credentials. That's the uh, space we're in. And thankfully, it's been a you know, pretty good run over the years, the different uh, businesses that we've bought, sold, operated. Um, I'm also a board member of the Pataki Leadership Center, as well as uh, Curtis Sleep was Guardian Angels. And uh, I've done quite a bit of humanitarian work with uh, the Pataki Center. Most recently in Israel, we set up a post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, um, retreat for first responders on October 7th and 8th. The people who came there in the ambulances, the people who came to find the dead bodies, the mutilated bodies, the heads sawed off, those guys. So um, we've been successful. We've had probably close to 100 people go through the program we set up uh, that I guess started early last month. Um, that was like our most recent humanitarian work with the Pataki Center. And I, um, yeah, I mean, I'm running for Senate because New York's in trouble. I mean, look around. Kirsten Gillibrand, Hochul, they either do nothing, and when they do something, it's just a mistake. They just can't get it right. I mean, the migrant crisis is the ultimate proof of that, as, as you could see. Um, right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up in New York when when a crisis was really a crisis. Today, they just, everything's a COVID crisis, migrant crisis, the, the word just lost its punch. Josh, tell me a little more about the uh, Pataki Foundation. Yeah, so the Pataki Foundation is, uh, was founded by former Governor uh, George Pataki, and they do quite a bit of work, primarily in, uh, in the New York area. Their main mission initially was to provide support to widows of, uh, of uh, firefighters, cops, um, but over the past few years, we've done quite a bit of humanitarian work. We did a, quite a bit of work in Ukraine um, where people were suffering. They didn't have uh, generators, heaters, housing. And our government, even though $20 billion was appropriated just for humanitarian aid, not military, $20 billion for humanitarian aid, you couldn't find a penny of it in Ukraine. It was incredible. So the incompetence of... The government for something that I think even most Republicans would be somewhat okay with, like humanitarian aid that's limited, it's focused, you know that there's an end in sight, and yet the easiest money to spend wasn't spent at all. So 
Thank you. So why don't you tell everyone, you know, what really, really, you know, made you make the decision to run for U.S. Senate? You know, what really inspired you? Well, I was, first of all, um, inspired in a positive way by looking around and seeing how many young people are beginning to register for the Republican Party, how strong the young Republican movement is. There's teen Republicans, college Republicans. Ten years ago in New York, there was a real absence of Republicans that age. The polling also shows every year more young men and women are registering as Republicans than they are as Democrats. So I think there is a resurgence statewide. So that's certainly inspiring to know that the cavalry is coming. I'm going to get you know support, um, that us older people are going to have that younger support. But looking around the state, people are just disappointed. They're angry. I mean, people are suffering. They, they had loans that just three years ago were 2% and now they're at 7%. Cost of living is out of control. And these were all based upon bad decisions made by the federal government. The Fed just made horrible decisions. Hochul, Biden, all of those clowns, they've just made decision after decision, whether it's raising interest rates or completely opening up the border to anyone and everyone who's coming in. I mean, this is a, a law enforcement show. I can only imagine what kind of law enforcement nightmare it is to have people coming across the border without knowing a single thing about them. Not a single thing, right? It's incredible. Like I, as you know, I do work in the background check space. And if you come here to work for IBM as an engineer with a master's degree, you have real background checks done on you. You can't just come in here. And yet these guys are coming in here car blanche. And we know some are real criminals. Those guys who beat the cops the other day oh, are yeah. not... Th that wasn't their first time beating a cop. No. no. And hopefully it's their last time. It's definitely their last. But where they come from, they were obviously up to these shenanigans before. Absolutely. Speaking of beating, beating, uh, beating on cops, uh, you know, as of today, there's, there's this war on cops, and it really gets me very angry. And a lot of my colleagues, former colleagues, um, what would you do about that if you were in the Senate? How would you deal with this war on law enforcement? Look, in the Senate, we're a little bit limited in terms of what we could do for municipal and statewide um, policing departments. But I think there is certainly a legal recognition of what a first responder is, a legal recognition of what a government employee is. And I think there definitely can be laws that are written to protect specific categories of law enforcement or public sector workers. They certainly do it for uh, government workers or the Capitol Police, right? There's added crimes if you assault them. There might be a wisdom in creating some kind of law that would force, um, force some kind of maybe federal crime if there's like a real intentional desire to attack a law enforcement person. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's a pretty serious, uh, serious offense. Well, and let me give you an example. The issue of qualified immunity is a Supreme Court decision that affects every police agency in the United States. And it allows uh, for judges to dismiss cases where a cop shows good faith. Now, in the state of New York, legislation was passed taking away that defense from every law enforcement agency in the state of New York, and the city of New York introduced their own law, so it's double. You have a double problem. Now, on a federal level, what would you do to deal with that problem? The lack of qualified immunity for police officers in New York State and New York City. Well, as, as someone who would be writing federal laws, it would obviously be something that would affect state and municipal police departments around the country. 
in terms of uh, qualified immunity, there is a Supreme Court decision, and we'd have to look at that decision and see, is there a way to legislate that decision federally and create a federal law that mimics that decision that would then override, potentially, the New York um, the New York, the New York law. There also is quite. A, there is a possibility that the New York law could be challenged, and I think it will be. And perhaps it's not constitutional on its face. But the idea that somebody working for the government and really acting in good faith, right? Somebody who's on the front line has to draw a gun. It's impossible to begin to get inside their head, right? So unless they pulled the trigger thirty times when one or two shots would have been necessary, and even then you can still have an argument of good faith, but certainly that's a very unusual situation. Guys aren't like unloading, um, you know, a, a, you know, a bunch of bullets and then refilling their guns. It's not happening. So most of the time, good faith should be a, an argument that anybody working in that situation should be able to have. Certainly soldiers, when they're fighting, that's the standard, right? Nobody's holding soldiers to higher standards. Like if you really thought somebody was an enemy person and you shot them and killed them, but it was real good faith, they can't question and say, but maybe you should have known, right? That doesn't happen in, in the theater of combat. So in the theater of, of urban combat, I don't think it should be any different. Those decisions are often even more complicated. You don't have a guy in a helicopter telling you where the bad guys are. They're popping up at you, and it's, it's an urban environment where nobody expected there to be a field of battle. So you would, you would introduce legislation to grant qualified immunity for everybody in the United States, all police agencies, to make it part of the law rather than just a Supreme Court decision. Yeah, I mean, I would try and make that Supreme Court, whatever that Supreme Court decision would legislate, that seems to me to be the legislation that's needed. Because until New York created another law, there was no way around the, around the, you know, around the, around the good faith argument. Um, but yeah, to me, that's just like another example of crazy government intrusion and legislation. The New York legislators should have never written that law in the first place. Like, what kind of law is that? Like, a jury should decide if the person acted in good faith or not. But that's certainly an argument. I mean, somebody's firing bullets at you, a gang's shooting at you from buildings and windows that you can't even see. All you need is good faith. You can't, at that point, be expected to know everything somebody will figure out you know, two months later by looking at all the closed circuit cameras. And that's what's happening. Right. You could, Like, once you don't have the good faith argument, you could second guess every single decision. You can even second guess why the person was there. Right. He shouldn't have been there. He should have known if he went there, they were going to fire at him. But that, that could become an argument. Like, if you know there are gangs there, you shouldn't have shown up because you know you're going to have to return fire and you're going to have to kill them. Right? I mean, that's an upside-down argument, but you can see how... Somebody would try to make it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. What were your main issues uh, facing um, American priorities as a senator? I mean, I think right now in New York State, the 
the, the biggest issues are obviously the cost of living and the migrant crisis. Um, crime is also really on everybody's mind, but I think the migrant crisis really, I've been traveling all around New York State and in places where I honestly did not believe the migrant crisis mattered or was being spoken about. Is It matters a lot. It's almost the first thing people bring up and and it's not like they're just dreaming. Like we see the migrants here, so we see 10, 20, 50,000 of them overwhelming our homeless services. So imagine a small town of 6,000 people and now suddenly, you know, of 6,000 people where you don't have a lot of kids, an older town, and now suddenly a uh, school district has to put up with 43 children who don't speak English, have all kinds of emotional issues. <coughs> and this is happening all around the state. So even if they're like, oh, we just put uh, 50 families. Yeah, but those 50 families come with 50, 60 kids, right? Yeah. And then once you have a few kids, they start adding more. Again, that's one example of where this issue is really a trickle-down issue. It's a problem. The Democrats, it's really a bonehead, self-created problem. Well, what would you do? Uh, with, look, the police are having problems with the, the illegals. Uh, what would you do to address the problems that the police are having? Let me give you an example. They come here unvetted. We have no way of knowing what their past history is. They get arrested, and usually uh, someone gets arrested, they're fingerprinted, and their prints are matched against whatever is in the FBI database and in the state's database. And that helps judges set bail. Okay, these people come, there's no history that we're aware of. Um, and as you can see, what happened the other day, the cops in the city were you know, kicked and beaten, and the arrests were made and they were released without uh, bail and they fled now they've been apprehended so how would you address that problem the only way to address it is to control the border if you don't control the border people are going to come in who are unvetted you land in kennedy airport they, they they stop you you have to go through customs right every once in a while my 20 year old son gets a random check oh come with us right just maybe they stop you me i don't know it's what happens right so all, every American coming through the border has to go through all kinds of checks. We got to show our passport. It's a huge pain in the neck. No, in fact, it's such a pain in the neck. There's a whole business around avoiding it, called the clear line. People pay a hundred bucks a year to make it a little bit easier to go through. And these clowns just literally cross the border with no vetting at all. And I said it earlier. I think the no vetting is something that can't be ignored, right? Like people were worried they were coming in with COVID. COVID, after a while, goes away. You get healed from COVID. But if you were a criminal who has a rape in your history, who's a sexual predator, who beats the crap out of cops, you're a bad guy. You can't come in here. And under no legal pretense would you ever be able to come in here. And yet these guys just come in here. And we see them beating our cops, wreaking havoc in those, in those shelters, because you guys know as former law enforcement that... In an environment where nobody's really in charge, the criminals take control. The criminal element gets in there right away. Right, but then we have people who, ha who are here, those that are here. What would you do in, in, regarding them? They get arrested and uh, they're not bail eligible. Well, they are bail eligible and they let go. Look, I think when you hear Kathy Hochul and Al Sharpton using the word invasion, I think they're ready to deport people when they're arrested now, which is the law. Okay, that that is actually the federal law. If they're arrested here in New York, they then should be handed over to ICE. New York made some kind of ridiculous law, 
which made no sense. Again, it came out of the Ivy League universities where they're literally completely disconnected from the real world. So they imagine all kinds of crazy things. And from the people who bought you uh, castration for 14-year-old boys, they're bringing you this crazy idea that we're not going to hand over a violent criminal to ICE, which is what they created. So this is a result of years of just insane policies. And at a certain point, you create problems for which there aren't any really good solutions. There's hundreds of thousands of them in New York, millions around the country. What's the solution? You can't find them all and deport them. It would be easier to do a background check on all of them, right? So this is where Republicans are going to have to bite their lip at some point and cut some kind of deal like Reagan did in 86. I have no idea. What do you do? I don't know. You're, well, well, you're a, law of, a lot of this goes back to the fact that there are these sanctuary cities where the um, I, um, what do you, uh, ICE does not you know, go to. They have a problem with them. Would you take a stand on that, on giving away with sanctuary city status? I think the sanctuary city status is, is essentially cities saying we're not going to follow federal law. I mean, that's essentially what happened. <clears throat> How do you deal with it, right? Are you going to really have a standoff? I think one potential solution to the problem, considering that they're not going to close the border, um, is to criminalize, and it already kind of is criminalized, but criminalize the abuse of the asylum system. So if you're, if you're somebody who's helping a migrant file for an asylum petition, but you know that they don't really qualify for asylum, and they know they don't qualify for asylum, and you're coaching them on how to get through the process. But you have knowledge. You willfully know, right? It's not good faith. There's no good faith at all. You know that this person's an economic asylee. There's no political asylum in their past. And you help them. I would criminalize that, and I would go after those guys. And if you come after those guys, believe me, this whole thing will end. Well, how about <clears throat> cutting federal funding for those cities? You know, a lot of these cities get federal funds for law enforcement. Again, that that that's that could be a self uh, a self defeating move because those cities may just in turn cut funding for law enforcement, and then you'll have even more crime at a time when they need actually more law enforcement. That's the problem with these the, the migrant crisis that we don't know who they are. The only thing we know is that they're coming now in large enough numbers that it's almost like a refugee camp situation. The reason they don't want to create those camps is because then you have to do the law enforcement there. I don't think the you know the you know, the, the, the Brotherhood of Sergeants or any police union signed up for policing a refugee camp, right? So this is a crazy situation the Democrats created, and there are no great answers. So, Josh, as you know, I'm sure you're well aware that not only in NYPD ranks and file, but also throughout the country, uh, cops are leaving in record numbers, uh, not only because they reached their 20 years and they're ready to collect their pension or to go on to another career, but even cops with one, two, three years on just leaving to go to uh, another career, not even another police department. Um, how would you, would you have a plan to maybe reverse that? Look, I, I think that the problem you're talking about is one of overall government getting the right kinds of people, certainly being in the police department when you can work in the fire department or another government agency where you, you still have that brotherhood kind of vibe. Um, pays better and you're not 
worried about some guy jumping out of window and shooting you. I mean, well, that's I an issue. But I think the military has the same issue. I think but, what you're saying is that, that used to be the problem. When I was a rookie cop, uh, a lot of guys would leave to go and girls would leave to go to the fire department or, say, another police department that pays much more money and maybe a better quality of life, maybe less crime. However, today, you have kids getting burnt out, and in two, three years on the job, they're leaving not to go to another police department or to the fire department or to EMS. They're leaving to go to another career or go figure it out. That's the problem. It's not just because they're leaving to go make more money on another police department. Yeah, I think the, there's, um, those are two different issues. I just meant going into it before they even start. Many people aren't even considering the police force because the fire department just would be more attractive on the face of it. Separate from what you're talking about when you were younger, somebody would, let's say, work on the police force and be like, whoa, this isn't for me, and then go to the fire department, right? Or do 20 years and then go to the fire department if they were still young enough. Well, cops but feel like their hands are tied. They can't do their job. They, they can't do their so, job. So, and they're, you know, they're, and, and, and they, you know, sometimes they're treated like they're the perpetrator. They're, you know, instead of being the victim, they're the perpetrator. You know, they can't enforce the law. And, you know, cops can use necessary force. But unfortunately, what's going on is, you know, they're afraid to use necessary force. They're afraid of getting jammed up for just doing their job. You know, they got to play by a lot of rules and regs. But the perp perpetrators do not and just as we just seen you know the other day um that should never happened and hopefully it never happens again yeah it's hopefully the migrant situation will force the radical left-wing guys to rethink some of their insane positions certainly when they use words like invasion i think they have um but i, I think cops would put up with a lot more law enforcement people would put up with a lot more if there was more dignity in that job right remember after 9-11 cop walked into a room people stood up gave him a standing ovation yeah it took right? two buildings to come down to get respect again absolutely okay yeah. so it took a million migrants to come in here to show us like you can't invite migrants in here sanctuary city is a bad idea in fact whoever thought of it should be locked up i mean that what a nutty concept sanctuary city like you know there's sanctuary homes Right, and that's the irony. It's like these hypocrites who t talk about sanctuary cities with their fancy house in the Hamptons and their, you know, classic seven on Central Park West and a ski chalet in Wyoming. Are any migrants staying in their house? No. And so it's not really a crisis. And they travel with personal protection, security, and yeah, they know, have high fences and alarms and cameras and, and doormen and all that so stuff. So they don't see real the real world. What's really going on no. in the streets? You were talking about the uh, the border before uh, before. Uh, what is your opinion of uh, the uh, ICE, or how can we help ICE? Because they're the front line down there to keep these migrants out, and they've been disrespected, uh, and they have been um, excluded from working in certain states. For example, former Governor Cuomo referred to them as a bunch of thugs. Look, ICE... The job of ICE and the job of Border Patrol and Border Protection is to keep the border secure, okay? In most countries, that means nobody crosses the border. A few months ago, I don't know if you guys remember, maybe five, six months ago, a bunch of Yemenis tried to cross the Saudi border, and they kept walking toward the border, and they were warned, and there were gunshots in the air. And at the end, the Saudi Border Patrol guy shot and killed a couple of these people, right? Because that's what happens at a border. Remember the east-west Berlin border? Like, you didn't go near that fence. You know why? Because they'd shoot you. Whether you were on the side of the east Germans or the side of the west Germans, the other side would shoot you. There was no 
wasn't even a moral decision. It was like, if you were schmuck enough to go there, you're going to get shot, right? Our border has no sense of respect. Nobody respects our border. So the truth is, if people knew, and I'm not suggesting we shoot people at the border, but if people knew there was some real serious consequence, right? If like everybody thought they would get shot going to the border, nobody would go to the border, right? They'd be like, no, I can't cross. I'll get shot, right? So there's some place in the world where you're in the back of your head, you're thinking, I might get shot, right? You try to cross between Belarus and Russia, there are guys there. And those are friendly countries. They'll kill you. It's their job. Their job is to kill you first and ask questions later. And there's no, there's no uh, qualified immunity or that soldier's completely protected. His, his good faith is to take you out, right? If you're wandering around the border. Our border is chaos. So there's, there's no laws, right? There's no respect for the border. So until there's respect for the border and respect for the law, what can ICE do? ICE is just right, going to be... But as a senator, what would your role be or what would you do to strengthen the border and strengthen ICE? I would just demand that they follow the laws that are on the books, which are pretty good laws. Like, the laws on the books do allow lethal force for people coming across the border. It is allowed. It is allowed. So we don't really need to write more laws. We just need to enforce the laws that are on the books. I mean, I think that's part of the problem is that we actually have some decent laws, but if you're not going to follow the laws, then what good is it, right? Like, you can't assault cops. You can't assault people. You can't rape women in a, in a, in a homeless shelter, but it happens all the time because people just don't respect the laws. We call those guys criminals. But somehow when a political party just has total disregard for the law, the Democrats for border laws, somehow we don't call it criminal. But what they're doing is essentially criminal. Sanctuary cities is criminal. I'm not going to hand over this person to ICE. That's a crime, right? But they're doing things that are just impossible to fight against. So we're dealing with it. So all these migrants come in. They want to cut a deal now to slow the flow of migrants. They, could, they know how to do it. Trump was able to shut the border. They know how to get it done. Whatever deterrence they have to put in place, they'll do it. But it's not happening. There's no desire. I think that's really the issue. But it's a lack of respect. I yeah, think. but specifically, as a senator, what would you do to make sure that the border is secure? I would demand that those laws be followed. There's no reason to write a new law or propose a new law. The policy already exists as a law. They're just not following the law. When people don't, fo there's lawlessness. Yeah, I understand that, but how would you, demanding is one thing, but getting it done is another. That that's the challenge when you're down there. How to get how to get people. I thought, at first, when I was running for Senate, I thought, okay, I'm going to write laws or delete laws or discuss laws, and then we'll implement them. But now I'm realizing there's so many laws on the books that just nobody cares about or follows or wants to care about. It's really incredible. So we live in a lawless world, and I think it's incremental. I don't think overnight I'm going to be able to make everybody a lawful kind of person, but I'm a lawful person. I really carefully try to follow the law, even when I want to be a bad kind of guy, I make sure I do it within the scope of the law. I try, right? I, I ask a lawyer, what can I do? What's legal? What am I allowed to do? Some people don't ask those questions. And I think most of our politicians no longer ask a question of what's legal, what's in the interest of my constituents, what is good for law enforcement or for laws. Like at the end, a senator writes laws and it should be taken for granted that we, we, we respect them. But most senators are more concerned about winning the next election and trying to twist laws in favor of what might help them do that or raise some more money. So 
I'm just going to be a different kind of senator who's going to demand a respect for the laws. And that should make a difference where somebody's out there at a fundraiser. I'll be like, why are you at a fundraiser? We need people to follow the law. Where, where are you now? You're with your mistress? I hired a PI to follow you, so I knew you were with him. Why aren't you helping us follow the law? You're going to have to get tough with these guys. There's no other way. Play hardball and embarrass them and humiliate them to be people who are role models of following the law. You're a senator. You're a priest of the American legal system, and you should treat the legal system with that sanctity. That's really how I feel, and I do see the American law and legal system as one that has sanctity and is sanctified <coughs> by the forefathers and God. I believe in that stuff. I believe there's something to it, um, and I'm disappointed that... People don't follow the law. So when you ask why I'm running for Senate, in part is hopefully just to, to just start, to take a step in that direction. But Ed, there's no way in six years I'm going to be able to make people respect the law. I could just maybe be a role model of it and maybe get a few people to listen. I mean, in theory, you'd think senators, they'd be the first guys, oh, that's the law, let's do it. That's not how it works. It's like, oh, there's the law, let's break it. There's a law, okay, people borrowed money for student loans, I'm going to find a loophole to forgive those loans. That's the world we live in. Like loopholes, presidential power, stuff like that. It's sad. Uh, your father was, um, was, a, uh, was in Auschwitz. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, so, that, uh, so you're the son of a Holocaust survivor. That is true. Um, how, uh, how do people get involved uh, with this campaign to um, fight anti-Semitism? Well, you can go to uh, nyforjosh.com. You'll learn about the, uh, the campaign. I think um, certainly my campaign stands against anti-Semitism. My father was a Holocaust survivor, but I think um, what he survived is one thing. He survived the fascist Nazis. He then moved back to Hungary, and he survived the communists. He was a rabid anti-communist, never joined the party, was on all kinds of secret police lists and when the Russians rolled in he had to get out and he came to the US literally on political asylum like they were hunting down the guys who didn't join the party um, but that he survived Auschwitz was you know, a miracle in many ways but coming to the US over here was a revelation of relief can you imagine a guy's on the run thinks people are gonna kill him doesn't even feel safe in a refugee camp and then lands in the United States and meets some long lost first cousin. Um, so that's, that's like more his story, like what America meant to him coming here and just learning English, getting a job with the United housing, working there for many years, you know, 35 years, had a pension, lived, lived a modest American dream, but a dream nonetheless compared to the nightmare of Auschwitz and the communists. So I think, when, when I think about my father, yeah, there's the nightmare, but there's also the very happy dream, which, you know, he got to live for many years. So that I think there's a positive element to that story. Let me ask you, what's your thoughts on term limits? I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of term limits. I yeah. think it needs to be thought through. Like if you have... Maybe an exception would be if, like, you have a congressman does, let's say, four terms and then goes away for 20 years and then comes back. He's an right. adult. He's a different person. She's a different person. If somebody was away for a while and then those constituents choose to have them back, I'd be open to that. And as you get to more municipal situations in local towns, I'd be a little more careful because if you have a, 
a, a mayor who can run a $50 million budget perfectly and nobody else really wants that job to force that guy out in a term limit and bring in an incompetent person. And that literally has happened in towns in Westchester where I live, I think is a mistake. So, but certainly on the federal level, term limits make absolute sense. I mean, there's no, nobody needs to be a senator for more than two terms. <clears throat> I don't even know how you do it for more than one term. Again, if you if you really believe you're a priest of a legal system and you believe in the sanctity of the American legal system, you're all in all day long. Like you wake up in the middle of the night, you're flipping through legal pages. And that's what I do now. I don't think Kirsten Gillibrand's doing it. I don't think anybody running for Senate or in the Senate is doing it because I think laws are what it's about. You guys are law enforcement. My job is to write laws that make sense that you guys can enforce. Right. So when I think about enforceability, I gotta I gotta think about that when I'm writing the laws. And today Nobody thinks realistically. Nobody respects it anymore. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I think term limits certainly is necessary. Just so people go in. Like, I, I I can't imagine doing being a senator for more than six years if you really give everything you got. If anyone wants to get involved in your campaign, how could they go about that? Um, you go to ny4josh.com. NY4josh.com. Yeah, and there's information there about volunteering or making contributions or just learning about the campaign. Cap. Well, <clears throat> I hope you make it as a senator. We're looking forward to you getting there and helping law enforcement in a big way. I will certainly be helping law enforcement. Laws are important, and I look forward to coming back on this show um, again before I'm a senator, and then, of course, when I'm a senator, I'll... I'll be here all the time. We look forward to that. Josh Eisen running for U.S. Senate in November. Thank you very much for being here. And at this time, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. You could also follow us on Twitter, at CopTalkWABC. That's at CopTalkWABC. Until next time, be safe out there. God bless law enforcement throughout the world. And God bless America. Thank you.